you know, I was, we were sitting outside one day, it was like, you know, after work and I just had this idea and I really wanted to go for it. And I was really scared and um, we we're still going to getting to know our land at that time. And I was walking around and I came across a, um, a lady slipper orchid in bloom. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is on my property. Like this is, it was like blowing my mind that this sort of rare flower was like, just, it was next to the driveway. It wasn't even like out in the woods or anything. And I, I kind of took it as a sign. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at spontaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Zach here. Okay, a quick announcement and a quick request before we dive into this show. First and foremost, the announcement. We have joined the Hospitality.fm podcast network. This is the largest collection of short-term rental, guest experience, and hospitality podcasts. And we're thrilled that we were invited to join just such an incredible cohort of leaders and innovators and entrepreneurs in the hospitality space. Thanks to Will Slickers, the founder of Hospitality FM, for the invitation to join their network. All right, and now the request. We want to know how to make the show better. So in the show notes below, there's a link. It's a link to a type form. And if you could be so kind as to go into the show notes uh, and complete the survey, it'll help us continue to make the show even better, customizing topics and, and whatnot around the things that you really want to hear about, right? We want to make the show as exciting, as dynamic, as interesting, and ultimately as, as educational as possible. And we can only do that if we know what you think about it. So if you scroll onto the show notes below, for the whole month of January and February here, we're running this survey. If you could be so kind as to take just a few minutes to give me your feedback, I would so, so greatly appreciate it. Again, you can find the link to the survey in the show notes below, or if you're having trouble accessing it for whatever reason, send me an email, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, and I will get you a link. Thank you all so much for being here, and really excited to continue to double down on the show and, and make it even greater. All right, folks, enjoy today's episode. In just a moment, you meet Melissa Hesney Masters, the founder of Tangle Bloom and the creator of the Tangle Bloom Cabin. Melissa has always been creative. Growing up in the Finger Lakes region of New York, she found herself mesmerized by natural beauty. Whether it be wildflowers or waterfalls, Melissa was transfixed by the innate purity of the natural world. She started her first business when she was in high school, selling hand-sewn clothes on both the internet and in the parking lots of fish concerts. And while she couldn't have guessed it then, this was the first stepping stone in her journey to becoming a flower farmer and short-term rental entrepreneur. Tune in to hear the enthralling story of how Melissa brought her wedding and event flower business, Tangle Bloom, as well as Vermont's most wishlisted Airbnb to life. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Melissa. All right, Melissa, so it's 5 p.m. on a Friday night, okay? The, the traditional work week is, has come to an end at least for you know, yeah. many, many folks. Uh, what are you most 
likely doing? Are you gearing up for a night out? Are you, you know, lighting a candle and, and pouring yourself a drink? Or are you, you know, burning the midnight oil? Mm-hmm. Where would we probably find Melissa on on most Friday nights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for uh, sort of better or for worse, I am uh, mostly lucky that I don't um, adhere to the traditional, you know, nine to five, five days a week sort of schedule. So what I love to do when possible with Fridays in general is to leave it as open as I can so that I can have time to finish up any any work I didn't get to during the week um, and also devote some time to those you know projects and ideas that just kind of never make it onto the to-do list and have it be a little more freeform. Okay. So by 5 p.m., um, typically in our house, that is uh, homemade pizza night, Ooh. which is exciting for everyone. Um, so that's what we do this time of year, which is winter. And But in the summer, there's a great local farmer's market that um, makes their own homemade pizza in an outdoor wood-fired oven. So we'll usually go there for, um, for pizza and a little social gathering time. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's a lot of fun. I, um, I, my wife and I would love pizza. So we, we've been trying to do the whole like Friday night pizza thing too. And we're not as cool. Like I I tried to make like a homemade pizza like twice. And I was just like, this is, I've got some skill sets. I don't know that this is one of them. I am interested in sort of like perfecting my game. Like, do you guys do your own dough or do you, you buy the dough? Pre-made. So I used to do my own dough oh, and, and, okay. and this is, here's my parenting hack tip. Number one, okay. just buy the frozen dough. Just buy the frozen dough. <laughs> we, we have, um, there's a, a Portland pie company is a main company that makes frozen dough and like sells it everywhere here. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a little more close to homemade and yeah. it just yeah, definitely saves a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. I tried, I, I tried to like do the whole, like create my own dough thing once. And mm-hmm. I was just so frustrated by the end of it. It took like, I yeah. feel like the whole process took like four hours and I was like, yeah. and it still didn't taste as good as like the pizzeria right. down the street. And I was like, damn it. Like, okay, <laughs> this is not, yeah. this is not, uh, this is not an efficient use of my time. Um, well, that's awesome. Hey, I, I'm super excited to have you on the show. That was just kind of a fun way. I like to do some sort of question at the offset uh, to help listeners get a, a little bit of a sense of, of who you are. Um, and I am, have so many questions for you because we first connected on Instagram. Since then, mm-hmm. I've you know found your blog, I found your website, I've you know done a little bit of other internet stalking uh, of you and uh, of of Tangle Bloom. Wonderful. And, <laughs> and I've I've just got like uh, a, a lo- a loads of questions because you've you've kind of like done some pretty cool things here you've you know started not just like one but a number of like your own uh, your own businesses and Mm -hmm. you've done a really interesting uh you've done a really great job and sort of taken an interesting approach of of sort of like marrying them under the context of this this one kind of umbrella brand so i want to dive into Mm -hmm. to all of that um but one of my favorite things when i'm talking to folks that that I consider, you know, creatives is is to ask them when when they first realized they were they were creative. So, do you remember that moment? Like, do you remember thinking and looking around, I don't know, the classroom or or you know, the living room or whatever it was and realizing that maybe you saw things a little bit differently than than others did? Yeah, it it really took quite a while for me to recognize that in myself, but looking back, I sort of can see those moments and those hints. Um, you know, I was always very crafty um, as a kid, and I was always really drawn to, you know, natural beauty. Okay. 
whether it was like wildflowers in the field next to my house, or uh, we had a lot of waterfalls around the area where I grew up in the Finger Lakes region of New York. Um, and then also my mom and our neighbor uh, sort of collaborated on this giant garden that was like between our two properties. Huh. And they always planted this giant row of sunflowers right next to the road. And people would like all summer when they were blooming, they would stop and like take pictures and just like look at these flowers. And, you know, this is back in like the late 80s, early 90s when you didn't just have a cell phone. Like you had to really like plan and yeah. be prepared to have a camera with you. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, this is so weird. Like, why are people like taking pictures of our flowers? And um, I, that was sort of the first hint of like, you know, not everyone gets to live this way and mm. is and immersed in this, you know, um, you know, gardening and, and crafting and all the, the ways that my family um, was creative. Yeah. 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 Were your, um, were both of your parents, um, quite creative or mostly your mom or, or what? It was mostly my mom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was very, just always making something always had, always was, you know, picking fresh flowers for the house. And, you know, when flowers weren't in bloom, she would pick like these random, you know, they were weeds really, but you know, now I would call them a wildflower and, <laughs> you know, just like more unexpected things, you yeah. know, and, you know, my friends would always comment on, you know, how creative she was or how creative that I was. And it was just, you know, what's the first thing you do even like, you know, it's like imposter syndrome, even as a kid, you just think of like the first person, you know, who's like more creative than you. And you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not creative. I'm not yeah. artistic, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But I started my first business when I was in high school. I was really into sewing and I made, um, so I made handmade clothes and handmade jewelry and sold it, sold them on the internet and in the uh, parking lots of fish concerts. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of my entrepreneurial creative start. Yeah. And, and, and where, where did like that idea initially come from? Like, were you... Were you just like, oh, hey, I could use some cash. I'm good at this. I like doing this. Let's just try it out. Or, or what, what's yeah. the story there? I think it was, you know, I guess you you could label me as like a hippie at that time in my uh, high school sort of childhood. And, you know, I would just go to concerts and probably see other people wearing these cool clothes that they had made. And I was like, I want to do that, you huh. know. So I just sort of, I, you know, my mom taught me the basics of sewing and then, um, I just kind of played around with it. And um, I didn't have a lot of like friends or people in my immediate community that were really into the same thing. So I, you know, found some online uh, community and, you know, I was in this like group for um, people who sewed clothes and ma made things and did all these crafty things. And huh. I was just like, this is amazing. And, you know, they, they really helped me sort of like, well, you could, you could sell this, you could do this. And yeah. What was the name? Wild. What was the name of the company? <laughs> oh God, I was afraid you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> it was called Celestial Forest Creations. Ooh. It was a GeoCities website. Like it was had all these little GIF images. Like it probably took forever to download. It was awful, <laughs> but <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, it's better. It's better than just like Melissa's clothes or yeah, something like that. Right, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was very very hippied out back then. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is that is fantastic. Hey guys, Zach here. So over the last year, I've interviewed over 50 short-term rental investors that are building portfolios of all shapes and sizes on this podcast. 
I've spoken with hosts that have 70,000 followers on Instagram, which is one vacation rental, SDR investors that are building niche hospitality brands with a target of 10 to 20 units, and also with property managers that oversee hundreds of units. As such, I receive questions all the time from listeners who want to get started in STR investing and or who want to scale their portfolio on what resources I recommend that they tap into. And here are three reasons I always recommend they check out an AirDNA subscription. First off, AirDNA offers the most accurate data platform in the industry and is trusted by small and large-scale investors across the globe. Second, their easy-to-use tools unlock access to millions of data points on any property, anywhere. And third, you can enter any address in the world to find out how much you'd earn as a vacation rental. Pretty cool, huh? So if you're interested in getting into the STR game, or if you're interested in taking your game a bit more seriously, I've got some exciting news for you. AirDNA is giving Behind the Stays listeners 20% off their first three months of any MarketMinder subscription, or an additional 20% off any annual MarketMinder subscription. You can use the discount code BTS20, BTS is in Behind the Stays 20, at checkout. Oh, and if you don't listen to it already, I highly recommend that you tune into the STR Data Lab, which is a podcast hosted by Jamie and Mariah, the VPs of Research and Marketing at AirDNA. It's a super badass show, and it's one of my favorites in the industry. All right, as soon as this episode is over, be sure to check out AirDNA's MarketMinder subscription and use the discount code BTS20 when you're ready to dive in. Okay, so this this entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, has mm-hmm. has been with you for for a while. So so take us back to kind of the beginning of of Tangle Bloom. Like where mm-hmm. where did this idea? I found uh, you know your your website and um, read a little bit about how I think the idea came to you while you were sitting in like a patch of grass somewhere in 2013. <laughs> but but what's what is the where, where does the Tangle Bloom story begin in in your mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, when I was living in Ithaca, New York, after sort of after college, sort of trying to figure out like what's next, what am I going to do? Um, I was sort of doing these very casual internships on area farms. Uh, my favorite was with an herbalist, which was super amazing. And I knew I wanted to do, to do something that was like outdoors and hands on and working with plants. I just really loved plants. Um, and then when I was getting married in 2010, my, my husband, Mike and I, we really wanted to incorporate local flowers, you know, we were incorporating like local food and, you know, so all the local things and like in our community, um, there was local, everything, local beer, cheese, wine, like anything. And I was really surprised when I approached florists and told them that, and they just were kind of like, oh, they, they didn't like that idea. They tried to talk me out of it, um, told me that, you know, local flowers weren't like the same quality. And it's just basically not something that I wanted to do and more or less that they wouldn't do. And I was just really taken aback because I knew that there were, you know, there was a flower farm that was at the farmer's market every week. And like, I just, you know, once or twice a month would like shell out 20 bucks for this bouquet and just loved it. Um, so I started doing research and realized that, you know, while there were flower farms that would show up at farmers markets and farm stands, there weren't many that were doing, you know, more traditional wedding work, um, using flowers that you might recognize like a a dahlia or a rose or um, something like that. So it was just kind of like in the back of my mind. And I, I also at the same time came across the statistic that said 
about 80% of the flowers consumed in the U.S. were imported. And that really sort of wow. blew my mind. Yeah. Wow. Um, because it just didn't, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was kind of the catalyst. And, you know, it just kind of stuck with me. And yes, when my husband and I bought our home and uh, future farm in Vermont around 2012, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I was, we were sitting outside one day. It was like, you know, after work and I just had this idea and I really wanted to go for it. And I was really scared and, um, we we're still going to getting to know our land at that time. And I was walking around and I came across a, um, a lady slipper orchid in bloom. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is on my property. Like this is, it was like blowing my mind that this sort of rare flower was like, just, it was next to the driveway. It wasn't even like out in the woods or anything. And I, I kind of took it as a sign at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a sign to me. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you get, you get this idea. Um, you, you guys, so you bought a house, you bought some land and it was, mm -hmm. was the intention at the offset with the land that, Hey, we'd like to have like a, a flower farm here or like, had you, had you intentionally bought the property with that in mind at, the, at this juncture or, or not quite? Yeah, sort of yes and no. Like we were really drawn to this property because it did have, I mean, not a lot of acres. It had about five acres, but it was flat. It was open. Um, it got pretty good sun, which every other place we had looked at in our budget didn't really have any of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's very hilly, rocky, um, very forested in Vermont. So nothing else really had like a nice big open spot that we didn't know exactly what we were going to do, but we knew we wanted that if we could find it to yeah. do something to yeah. grow something yeah and so okay you have a little bit of entrepreneurial uh know-how under your belt from selling your uh <laughs> hand-sewn clothes but like it, it, it's quite different from you know deciding to dedicate a a significant size uh plot of land to to growing flowers like how mm -hmm. how did you how did you like know what to do like did you just google the heck out of things did you watch a lot of youtube videos mm -hmm. had your mom shown you a thing or two about one how to how to grow flowers properly mm -hmm. and then two how to how to how to make a business out of it yeah so i had you know i had a fair amount of gardening experience but i i knew that that was only going to get me so far because, you know, growing for production is just very different, you know, when you scale up in that way. Um, so I definitely spent a ton of time researching, reading books, blogs, any information I could find. And during that time, I came across a grower in Washington state who hmm. was doing, you know, she had a, a flower farm and was doing quite well for herself and was um, sort of becoming established as an expert and uh, one year she started offering uh, workshops at her farm. So I, it was a crazy amount of money at the time. But I was like, I need to do this. Wow. I just knew that it would be so valuable and probably save me a lot of time and stress and money. <laughs> so that was sort of the jumping off point as I went and did this. It was like a three-day intensive workshop and um, you know, was able to get her advice on sort of my business model and that kind of thing. And it was super helpful, very essential. Wow. That's amazing. And, and what yeah. was, what was the initial business model and, and has it changed much or has it, has it remained oh, yeah. pretty consistent? Yeah, okay. it's, it's really changed a lot. So when I started, I, you know, was also still working a day job at the time. Um, so I knew, you know, I couldn't do very much my first season. 
So I decided on a CSA model. Okay. Um, yeah, community supported agriculture. So yeah. basically, like you're probably familiar with, with you know, getting a box of veggies from a farm every week. Um, folks would pay upfront usually in the late winter, early spring, and then I would um, give them a bouquet from the farm um, for like eight to twelve weeks. Um, so that's how it started. It was very, you know, sort of grassroots, yeah. uh, super community supported, and it was amazing because it let me have like this direct relationship with these people. I was able to get their feedback and, um, you know, the model is kind of flexible. It kind of says like, you know, if the weather is terrible and like your bouquet is, you know, a little light one week, like, you know, we're, we're kind of all in this together. Yeah. And by contrast, if I have an abundance of flowers one week, then, then you're going to reap that benefit as well. That's so, that, yeah. that is like such a cool model. And like, I mean, I, you know, I live in Washington, DC and so, you know, things, things aren't, aren't quite the same, uh, here. Um, I mean, maybe they have, you know, uh, CSAs that are focused around flowers and, and whatnot. If so, I, I'm definitely not in those circles. Um, yeah. but it, like what, what a cool way to build, not just, you know, uh, community, but also to, to sort of learn like customer feedback, like right off the back from people that are like, th th they want, they want to see you, you know, succeed. They're, they're almost like early adopters, so to speak here. Right. Um, but there's this, there's this understanding that as you, as you mentioned, like this is, this is a communal effort. And so I, I bet you learned a lot too about like, Oh, okay, this is, this is what people want. This is what they mm -hmm. expect. This is what a bouquet means to, you know, person A and what it means to person yes. B, right? <laughs> exactly. The definition is going to be wildly different. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, and so, uh, what, at, at what point does, does the business model evolve and, and mm -hmm. like, what is, what is the model today? Yeah. So from, from the CSA, I expanded into weddings because it became um, pretty obvious pretty quickly that that was the best way to sort of make money off of something that's sort of a luxury item like yeah. flowers. And it also allowed me to be a little more creative, right? Like a, a standard bouquet for CSA is pretty, it's like assembly line almost when you have, you know, 50 to make. So I expanded into weddings and that was really wonderful for many years. That was sort of my bread and butter for many years was doing um, everything from, you know, full service design, you know, creating installations at, wow. at venues to a la carte where people would just order, you know, their bouquet and boutonnieres and maybe a few centerpieces for a small event to also selling buckets of flowers to folks who were doing a more DIY um, or, you know, sort of a budget event. Wow. So, and I felt good about that because I could sort of serve, um, you know, all of those people, all of those people could have local flowers in one way or another, depending on their budget. They didn't have to be necessarily restricted because they couldn't spend, you know, $7,000 on their flowers yeah. for their wedding. Yeah. Um, so that was was what I did for many years, um, basically until the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, you know, restrictions meant that gatherings couldn't happen. You know, pretty much all the weddings either fell off the books or went down to like um, an elopement with like five people. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, invoices going from five to $7,000 down to maybe a few hundred. Um, so as you can imagine, that was a pretty big hit yeah. and <laughs> I knew I had to figure out, um, a pivot very quickly. 
So I sort of went back to my roots at that point and did a CSA again, which I hadn't offered in a few years. Um, we also built this sort of little farm stand on our property so that people could come, you know, just buy bouquets. And we also worked with a lot of other um, local makers who, you know, were losing their, their mo- a lot of their wholesale business because shops weren't open. And, you know, we started buying their products and, and trying to sell them in the farm stand as well. Um, so yeah, that, that sort of took me through the pandemic. And then at the same time, sort of two things happened. One, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute is that I had more time to focus on the tiny cabin. Mm -hmm. And two is that I, you know, I had this time on my hands and I, so I started sort of dabbling in offering consultations to mostly newer farmers, which was something I'd been asked for, but never had the time for. So I started doing that and found that, um, for one, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I had been in business long enough that I felt pretty confident in, in being able to help someone else and provide value for them. And also that it was, it was something that was really needed. Um, because, you know, there were a lot of questions out there. And um, again, in-person workshops like I attended weren't happening. And also not everyone, you know, by this time, those workshops had risen to, you know, maybe three to $5,000 instead of like the 1000 that I paid. Yeah. Um, and that, that wasn't accessible to everyone. And yeah. also not everyone needed that sort of intensity. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh my gosh. That's a... <laughs> It's a lot it's of a pivots. Lot, I know. It's a lot of pivots, but you know, I, 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 that's that's what makes you a good entrepreneur is, is the ability to you know make quick decisions and commit and and pivot as needed and and you know mm-hmm. be be flexible with uh, with the model. Um, well, you've you've alluded to it, um, but how how you know I first came into uh, uh, touch with you was was through uh, the Tangle Bloom Cabin, which I found on Instagram. And I want to hear, I want to hear that story, right? So mm-hmm. you've got this flower farm going on. You uh, were doing weddings, right? Um, doing now doing consulting during during COVID. When when does like the cabin become a thing in in that yeah. timeline? Yeah. So again, the cabin we we sort of built the cabin as sort of a celebration of just like owning our own land, mm. and it was very simple. We, you know, we were on a pretty tight budget because we had just made the, you know, biggest purchase of our lives, but we <laughs> wanted to do something. And at first we thought about maybe just doing a temp platform, but we we really wanted to do something more of an actual structure. And um, when we came across this um, image online somewhere of uh, something called the Fern House, which turned out to be built by a Vermont architect. So I was in touch with him and he sold us some plans, which then the, it's kind of funny. Uh, I showed the plans to my husband and he said, I'm not an architect. I can't read this. So <laughs> we just kind of tossed the plans and our hundred bucks aside. And, um, you know, he was able to figure it out and build something. But um, so we, we just built it for ourselves and, you know, we would go out there a lot while we were building the farm Um like basically sort of at the end of the day, like it was like our happy hour. Like uh, we were, yeah. Most of the time uh, when we were first starting the farm, we were both still working off farm, you know, nine to five jobs. So this was like, you know, we'd come home from work and work a few more hours or work all weekend and just go out there like super gross and like sweaty and dirty, super tired. 
like crack open a beer and watch the sunset. And the joke was always like, oh my gosh, this feels like such a different world. You would never know all the stress and problems (laughs) and everything that's like lurking just behind the trees. So it became a really special sort of um, refuge for us. And um, when we had a baby in 2015, a few years later, we just weren't using it very much. Mm. And it was kind of a bummer. Friends kept telling us we should try renting it out, but we thought they were crazy. We said, this is just some weird thing that we like that like no one else is going to be into. It's too rustic and we're not, you know, who would, who's going to come here? You know, it's kind of not really in the middle of nowhere, but like kind of in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, so what changes, like, how do you, how do you go from like thinking no way Jose is anyone going to like want to stay here to being like, oh, wow, not only do people want to stay here, but this ends up becoming, mm-hmm. you know, one of one of the most popular uh, uh, tiny homes in, in, in all of Vermont. So uh, when does that transition happen in your mind? And what what ultimately was it that inspired you to, to list it on Airbnb? Yeah, um, basically, we just sort of, you know, decided to give it a go. Um, I was also at the same tra- time trying to work less and the farm simply because, you know, I, I had a little baby at home and, um, you know, wasn't ready to do like daycare or something like that. So, you know, I thought, okay, well, if this works, you know, this could make up some of that income, make things a little easier. So we started very simply. It was basically camping. We provided bedding and folks were supposed to bring everything else that they needed. Okay. Um, they used the bathroom in our house. Wow. We didn't have an outhouse or anything. There was no shower. Um, you know, we told them, like, you can use a shower if you want. Like, that's fine. It was very, very low key. And uh, people were coming and it was just sort of mind blowing how booked we were getting. I got to the point where I had to like go in and hurry up and like block days off um, because like we weren't going to, you know, it was going to be too hard to like turn it over or like, so we could actually go out there and enjoy it. Um, But what we found is that people who were coming, like I assumed they would be like people who instead of going camping, they would come here. Yeah. And, uh, but what we found is it was a lot of people, we had some of that, but a lot of people had never been camping before. And this, they sort of wanted to test the waters, but that also meant that they didn't have all of the gear. They didn't Mm. have like a camp stove or like pack towels and like, you know, dishes for cooking outdoors, all these things. So they would always be knocking on our door and asking us to borrow these things, <laughs> which I mean, it was fine. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, all right, well, clearly like this model is not quite working. We need to tweak this a little bit. So more or less over the next few years, we started basically providing them more and more, um, adding more amenities like an outdoor shower, an outdoor kitchen that was, you know, uh, covered from the weather. Uh, we added a hot tub last year. Um, and, you know, all along the way, we raised the price as well. So we ended up getting to basically five to six times the nightly rate that we are charging that first season. Wow. And our occupancy rate is still, um, last year it was 95%. Jeez. So, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. 
It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. So I, I, I want to talk about this because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the folks who are, are tuning into to this podcast um, have have sort of, you know, similar similar dreams um, and 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 goals around, you know, building boutique hospitality brands or, you know, building sort of a, a super unique uh, uh, short term rental kind of like experience. Some folks are <clears throat> that are tuning in are super interested in kind of growing their portfolio as large as they can, right, and maximizing um, sort of just their 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 reach that way. But but a lot of the folks are also interested in kind of doing what you've done, which is like, how do I take a passion of mine? Um, how do I turn that into a business? And then how do I sort of tack on sort of like a, a cabin or two or a, mm-hmm. a few properties and and sort of house this within a brand that is both different, you know, and, and separate from me, but also is is uh, expressive, if you will, of, of like my varied interests. And I think you, you sort of encapsulate all of this like really, really well. And it seems like it's been a process sort of like organically it's unfolded over time. But, but I do, I do want to lean into this a little bit and hear, um, hear about how you've thought about the business of this. Like how, how do you know how to, when you should increase your nightly rate and how did, how did you know at the offset, like even, even what to charge people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, when we first were deciding what to charge, I mean, you know, best advice of course, is just to kind of look at, you know, booking platforms and see what similar places around you are charging. And that is sort of your benchmark, um, which is what we did. And then, um, you know, looking at your occupancy rate, if, if it's still really high, you're, in, you know, your calendar is really booking up pretty quickly. You're probably not quite charging enough. Yeah. And so we've sort of played around with that over the years. Um, and as far as, you know, creating something or integrating it into your life or your business, um, that's, you know, kind of my big passion right now is, is creating something that, um, you know, makes sense, not just from a financial or business perspective, but also for your life. And yeah. it's one reason why I, really love this so much because it has given me a lot of flexibility to be a mom and be a business owner that can focus on other things when I need to. So I would say uh, one tip for sure is to, to really spend some time thinking about that. Think about, you know, your own story, your interests, your hobbies, um, what's unique about if you already have a property, what's unique about your property or your region or the place that you'd like to invest in, you know, what, is it sort of under the radar still? I think that's um, a really good point to look at when you're thinking about investing. And then, of course, how can you make it unique? Yeah. Um, for sure. We, you know, I now spend a lot of time like thinking about the story and integrating everything together. And um, not that it all has to like make sense per se, but um, it is sort of a, a big 
one story that's sort of woven together, you know, under the Tangle Bloom umbrella, I guess you could say. And it does provide um, guests with an experience. You know, they can come here and do a pick your own flowers event. We host workshops a lot of times in the summer where people can sign up. Um, we have people from, you know, the general public that come, but also guests can, of course, sign up and participate in those as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super, super cool. I, I think... Um you know, like farm stays, right, is, is a sort of like mm -hmm. new category of, of Airbnb that I feel like is, has exploded recently. And I shared this with you um, in a quick like chat we had a couple weeks ago. Um, and my, my wife and I were in Southern Vermont, I, I guess it was like last fall, and we got to stay at Big Picture Farm, which is Lucas and Louisa's property, yeah. which I know that you, you know them. And they mm -hmm. offered like the yeah, a, a similar sort of thing where we got yeah. to like go play with the goats or something like that. They've got a goat dairy and, and, um, and it was like such a, you know, again, from being from DC, a very, yeah. very different um, experience, which I, I think one of the things that I, I, I'd you know, offer too for, for anyone tuning in here, that it doesn't need to be, you don't need to have a farm. You don't need to have a beautiful, like, you know, uh, a flower farm. You don't need to have a goat dairy, but what is it about your, your space or your property or how could you integrate the local community in a way where you could actually upcharge um, or charge for, you know, a, a, an actual experience? Because at the end of the day, mm -hmm. we, you know, we, while the place that we stayed at Lucas and Louise's home was like beautiful, it was really like the thing that we tell everybody is like, oh, we stayed like at this goat dairy and we like, you know, brought the goats out to pasture. Right. Like, and it was like, that's, yeah. that is, that is what we tell people. And they're like, what? Like you, and you did that like through Airbnb, <laughs> like, you know, so I, 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 w I would just encourage people like think critically and think hard about like, what, what, what could we offer? Even if you're in a place that, you know, is maybe a little bit harder to, to kind of craft something truly unique. What is, what is different about the community? What is different about, you know, the neighborhood, right? Like, could yes. you do a walking tour? Like, whatever. Uh, if, exactly. you're, if you're looking for a way to just, just elevate the experience a bit more. Yeah. The sky is the limit, you know, with ideas. It's one of my favorite things. I actually consult with um, new Airbnb and short-term rental hosts now. And one of my favorite parts of our work together is like crafting their story and mm. thinking about you know, what unique elements they can bring to it. And a lot of times it's something that they hadn't even thought of or sort of like me, like, you know, I thought like, no one, no one's going to be interested. That's another, who, who cares about that? You know, <laughs> but now it's like, you sort of need to get that outside perspective to think about or to recognize what it is that is unique about you or your story. Yeah. One, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on, on this show is this idea that there's this, there's this kind of like moment happening with, with Airbnbs and short-term rentals where like, you know, people are now, they're traveling to the Airbnb, like they're crafting a vacation, right? Uh, around yes. like the Tangle Bloom cabin, for instance, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And this is like this is this is still new. Like it's 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 happening more and more. But like I, I don't think it's a phenomenon that enough people realize. And therefore, like if that if that is true, uh, which it is, and, and people are designing their their travels around being able to stay in a cabin that they found on Instagram, right? Um, mm -hmm. Then then I think all the more it, it beckons like, okay, well, if people are coming here for the, for an experience, like what, what can we do? What can we offer? So it, in the same way, when you go to like a boutique hotel or, or even, a, you know, a, a, a well-known brand of a hotel, there are all these like little touch points, all these like little amenities. There are all these like moments of delight, right? Like in moments of exactly. surprise. And how do you cultivate something like that when people, mm -hmm. to your earlier point, are willing to travel to kind of the middle of nowhere to stay in, uh, you know, a, a small, like tiny, like home, but they're 
choosing that and they're excited about that, right? And and what can you do yeah. to just make it make it all the more memorable? Exactly. Yeah. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping, brought to you by Spontaneous. I do want to talk about like how you've thought about marketing yourself and and marketing Tangle because again, you know your your cabin's got nearly ten thousand followers on on Instagram. Uh, it was the most wish listed Airbnb in all of Vermont. Um, what what has been your 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 like growth strategy, if you will? Yeah. You know, um, a few things sort of happened all at once. One was that we had uh, Ethan Abitz or Abitz come and take some photos. And nice. that really sort of put us on the map. And um, also, it was also the time, like we worked with some other photographers before him, but his photos were the first ones where I looked at them and they really sort of acu- communicated the like feeling of mm. like being here and that like what we felt when we were out there and it was just incredible. His work is so incredible. So just before he had been here, I also spent some time like sort of, I guess you would say redesigning and just really like being intentional about, you know, everything from bedding to, you know, all the textiles, all the colors, patterns, all those sorts of things. Um, whereas in the beginning, which I think is where a lot of hosts start out, especially, um, on a budget is you, <laughs> you kind of take the things from your house that you're not using. You're like, okay, take the guest bedding and that yeah. becomes the Airbnb bedding, right? <laughs> which is exactly what I now tell my clients not to do. But, um, that's what we did at first. <laughs> Excuse me. And so, you know, I, I decided that, you know, this, if you've seen our cabin, you know, it's, it's very open. The roof is clear. Like you see the forest all around you. And before that I was, I was sort of like doing a contrast, right? Like bedding was a contrast. And, and so I decided to really lean into this like forest dwelling and, um, you know, changed up the the color scheme and everything. So it kind of really just blended with the surroundings. Huh. And, and when we did that, it was like, I remember with my intern that I had that summer, like changing the bedding and we both just sat there and we're like, 
whoa, this is, that made a really big difference, you know? Um, so that was sort of point number one in changing. And of course, then Ethan coming and taking those beautiful photos really showed that off. Um, so yeah, once you have great photos, you know, you're, it's, it's almost like a prerequisite now. It's almost like you, you can't not do that. Um, because, you know, whether people are finding you on Instagram or just on a booking platform like Airbnb or HipCamp, you know, they're looking at the photos and that's a, a very large part of why they're going to decide to book with you. Yeah. So you've really got to, you know, show it off well. Yeah. And I, and I would just like, you know, bold and underline and highlight that point because I still hear mm-hmm. some conversations with folks that are like, oh, no, but like, you know, my iPhone's, you know, OK, it's like. This is also not an expensive like undertaking. Like you can find very affordable. Uh, you could you could do a trade. You know, with, with some with a, mm-hmm. you know, a photographer who's kind of like you know just starting out. Uh, an influencer yes. who's just starting out. Maybe they have a smaller following, and you yeah. can just do a swap. Right? People. Exactly. There's a lot of people that would love to come stay at your place for a night, yes. right, and take some great photos. And then there are other people like Ethan, like they've built up a brand for themselves, and you can leverage both their audience and then also uh, also their skill set. And again, at the end of the day, though, these things are not wildly expensive. It's not like it's mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars to get this done, right? Um, right. Right. And and I think that that's it's just it's such an easy thing to do. And it's absolutely like to your earlier point, it's just it's a it's a prereq now. Like when yep. people are scrolling quickly through things. Yep. Right. Or you are your, your listing is just one of, you know, dozens that they might be considering having yep. that having photos that actually like communicate again. Not, not, and to your earlier point, it can't, they can't just be pretty photos. They have to do a really good job at like communicating the story behind what you're doing. Because again, if people are mm-hmm. buying an experience, which they are, if they want to travel to the middle of nowhere, Vermont to stay in this tiny cabin, right? You've got to do a really, really effective job at visually communicating to them like the why it's worth it. And and photos, right, mm-hmm. are the best way uh, yeah. to make that happen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Melissa, one of the questions that I get asked a lot from folks who you know, send me an email after they listen to one of these podcasts or, or DM us on, on Instagram is, you know, how, how do I do this like full time? Like there, there's a lot of people that, um, are, you know, they've got a, a tiny cabin or they've got like a, 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 a cottage, a second up, you know, property either on their property or, 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 or close to close to where they live. And they've done a good job of like starting to kind of build a, a following for their cabin, but it's not like, it's not a full-time gig right yet mm-hmm. and they still have their day job and more and more folks that i talk to are interested in figuring out you know what what would it take to be able to do this full-time and i think what you've been able to do which is really cool is you've obviously have tangle boom uh, cabin but then you've also got you know uh the flower farm and you've you you've got these you know you had these weddings and and that you were doing um you, you're not doing some consulting for for airbnb and, and short-term rental hosts so if you don't mind unpacking a little bit for us around like how you've thought about growing your business so that mm-hmm. while it's all related and all intertwined, um, you, you actually are able to do this full time. Yeah. So the first thing to just keep in mind that I tell everyone is to really treat it like a business, like every decision you have to sort of put some space so, so that you don't take things personally um, and really be able to look at things clearly and treat it like the business that it is, if that is your goal to do it full time. And the next thing that I would recommend, which is how I've always treated my business, is that even if you are sort of a solopreneur, you know, it's just you or just you and your partner, 
um, to sort of build a team of experts around you hmm. um, that are like consultants, right? So it might be an attorney, an accountant, um, maybe a realtor. Um, and then, you know, as soon as you can, hiring someone to help you with the turnover. Because what that does is it frees you up to be able to do things like make upgrades, market, yeah. look for your next property or build your next unit on the property that you already have. And to have that like space to even entertain those ideas or even be able to like recognize what it is that you need to do. Because otherwise what happens, and I say this from experience, is that you just have too much going on. You're trying to do everything yourself yeah. and you're going to burn out. Yeah. And yeah. you're not going to have good ideas and you're not going to be able to see the forest for the trees at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's really important. And, you know, where I think there are some opportunities is, you know, to really start sort of thinking outside the box. So that could be something like if you have um, a little, if you have a primary residence, say, you know, to put up an accessory dwelling unit, if you can, um, could you, do you have room for two, hmm. maybe, hmm. Um, so that you're sort of, maybe you're sharing some facilities um, or at least sharing the property and the mortgage, right? Um, could you do an accessory dwelling unit and then, you know, a glamping tent for half the year? Um, so to sort of think about, like, start where you are, right? Like, what do you have at this very moment and how can you maximize that? Um, without necessarily going and buying another place that where you just have the next mortgage, the next taxes, the next, all those carrying expenses um, just for that one unit that's standalone. Yeah. Um, or, you know, using a mix of short and long-term rentals. So maybe you have an apartment building that you rent out long-term. Um, again, is there space there to do something short-term on the same property? Yeah. Yeah. Sort yeah. of like increasing the density a little bit. Um, and then, you know, what that does is just can increase your revenue without increasing your expenses exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. And what I would also just, you know, say too is, you know, brainstorming ways you may be able to increase your density while also sort of like maximizing a unique experience. Cause I do feel like mm -hmm. that even if it's, even if it's a, you know, a, a duplex or, or, or a condo or, or whatever it might be. People, people sort of, again, continually underestimate the fact that it doesn't take that much to figure out a story behind the space and then just like really lean into it. And again, yes. if, if somebody's looking for like a condo in the city to rent out, right? And they're looking through, let's just take the DC market as an example. They're looking through all these like, you know, row houses or, or, or units in, in Capitol Hill. They all kind of look the same, right? They've got some exposed brick, like you know, they've got they're older homes. They've got a lot of character, but if you were to find a way to to yeah, I don't know, really lean in um, and you know name the home and come up with a brand for it and figure out like you know uh, to have some fun with copywriting or or hire somebody who's who's a good copywriter to yes. like write your description, whatever it is. When yes. you're when you're quickly scrolling through things, and again, you've decided you you have to be in Capitol Hill. You're looking for a two bedroom place, whatever it is. They all again, they all kind of at face value are are equivalent properties. But right when you find that you know the historic charmer or whatever the heck you you come up with in terms of like the name of of your place, and then you have a good description. You take design seriously. You have very consistent themes uh, throughout. Like it's not just exposed brick, but like there's a story behind each brick. Or I don't know. Like I'm making crap yeah. up here, but like that's yes, exactly. That that absolutely one. It's fun. 
Two, it doesn't take a dramatic amount of time. And three, it does make all the difference, especially when you have a property that in and of itself isn't particularly unique. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's going to be, like you said, it's fun. You're going to be more vested in it. Um, it's it's going to be easier for you, you know, to, to do some of the harder things that are involved <laughs> because yeah, you are making it in a story and you're going to be at like a, you know, I don't know, a flea market on a weekend somewhere and you're going to see like the perfect piece for your rental and you'll just start doing things like that. And, um, that'll just add to the story and the authenticity of it. Yeah. 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 I love it. Well, Melissa, this has been, um, this has been amazing. I, I'm super just impressed by, by what you've done. I really think that you are a great example for folks who are aspiring to do something similar in, in, in their own lane. But I think that, uh, your story, um, and, and what you've done with Tangle Bloom is just, is just such a fantastic, uh, lighthouse for for folks to to look at uh, and and look up to. Um, Thank you. My last question for you is is what's next over yeah. over the next you know one to one to three years. What's what's your hope for Tangle Bloom? Yeah. So um, while I'm definitely leaning more into coaching and consulting work, I'm really excited about doing that. So I see that side of things really growing and I'm really excited to help, you know, other folks that have similar ambitions and dreams. Um, and I think we also can't ignore the fact of like, you know, this economy that we're in right now and, you know, it can be pretty hard to just afford your own home. Yeah. And I think that this is really an opportunity. Um, you know, it won't work everywhere, but it's, it's, you know, especially more rural areas, which are more economically depressed anyway, to begin with, um, to have an accessory dwelling unit or, or something that can help, um, people not only afford their homes, but then also, you know, I'm always looking through things through the lens of a parent and it's been just so amazing to have flexibility and to be able to work from my own property yeah. and, um, you know, like my son is home sick from school today and it's like no big deal, you yeah. know, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been in a tailspin about what, how would I even do that with a nine to five job? Um, so what's next is, um, we also are, we're working on another cabin that's, uh-huh. um, pretty close by. We okay. had this, I had this sort of dream that I <laughs> wouldn't let go of, of really wanting to renovate like an old cabin, and um, so a few years ago, we bought this dilapidated, rundown, awful structure <laughs> that we've been driving by for years on our uh, way to our favorite hiking trail. Um, long story short, it was uh, too much disrepair to be saved, unfortunately. So we had to knock that down and start from scratch. But um, my husband and I are pretty much doing all of the work ourselves. It's going to wow. be, you know, pretty small. We just the foundation is is done um, and resting through the winter. But anyway, we sort of see that as you know, we will definitely short term rent that for a while to help us um, pay for that project. But we'd like that to also be sort of our next step, maybe where we move to when our little one is a little older. And I would also love to, you know, add a tiny house or some other, you know, accessory dwelling unit to sort of set us up for, um, you know, some more income and, uh, and, you know, as we get older and, and can be a little more flexible. Um, so that's kind of what's next. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's very, very exciting. Um, and do you, do you think you'll carry the Tangle Bloom uh, brand to to this next place or spin up yeah. a different one? Or what are your thoughts that's, there? 
That's the big question. Okay. I, I'm not sure yet. I really feel like um, I was really, you know, stressing myself out at first. Like, we need a name. What is this place? <laughs> what is this? But um, I think I realized that we we really just need to spend more time there and get to know it and see um, what comes of it. Yeah, it'll it'll come to me. It'll, <laughs> it just might it take a while. Yeah, it will. So we'll see. Yeah, to be determined. TBD, TBD. Well, Melissa, this has been fantastic. I, I genuinely appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to to spend, you know, uh, just about an hour with us. Uh, for folks that want to get in touch with you, learn a little bit more about you and your story, uh, we'll have, you know, your Instagram uh, handles and all that fun stuff in the show notes below. But any anywhere else folks should kind of reach out if they want to learn more about your your consulting and just uh, mm-hmm. any, any of your, you know, the other projects that you're that you're vested in. Yeah, absolutely. Our websites are the best place. You can go to vermontcabin.net okay. um, to learn more about um, you know cabin coaching and consulting and also uh, make a reservation or learn more about our tiny cabin. And then you could also go to tanglebloom.com to learn more about um, myself and the farm and our, um, our flowers and... Yeah, I think that those two places have everything you need to know. Wonderful. And again, we'll just go ahead and drop those links in the show notes below to make it easy for all y'all turning, uh, tuning in, turning in, tuning in. Um, okay. <laughs> Melissa, this has been great. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.